this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right. <laughs> Fasting and feasting number five today. I think this is going to be the last one, and then we're going to going to jump into summer in the Psalms, although God might change my mind on that this week. We might have one more fasting and feasting. We'll see what the Holy Spirit does. But today I want to focus on, so there's this saying, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard of this? How many of you believe that it's in the Bible? One in eight Americans believes that it's in the Bible. It is not actually. It sounds like a proverb, right? It is not in the Bible. The uh, Bible says some things that are kind of similar, but not that exact phrase and really not that exact meaning either. God helps those who helps who help themselves. And yet, you know, we, it's a saying for a reason, right? There is some truth in there somewhere, but where is it? And today we're going to look at the book of Esther. Now, this is one that I really wanted to fit into the Fasting and Feasting series. I just wanted to explore this story a little bit because they go on a serious corporate fast, which is something we haven't really touched on too much in the series yet, which is a corporate fast is that a group of people do it together, right? We come together and corporately worship on Sunday mornings, meaning it's all of us together, not individuals. Corporate fast is the same idea. It's a whole group of people all together going on a fast. And so they had to embark on this corporate fast in the book of Esther to literally save their people from elimination. It's a crazy story. So if you brought your Bibles today, go ahead and turn the Old Testament to the book of Esther. If not, it will be on the screen. We're not going to read all 10 chapters today. Uh, but this book is unique in the word for a few reasons. First of all, just to sort of understand the overall context of this, there does seem to be sort of a theme in this book of power grabbing. There's a whole lot of power grabbing. Everybody's grabbing for power in this book. But there's also this sort of theme of like luck and chance. It's almost as if the story seems to say, when you roll the dice against the people of God, the dice roll against you. There's also this, this moral ambiguity in the book. The Jewish people are hiding within a culture that is not their own. They are integrating into culture, even pieces of it that aren't so moral. Right? They're not super righteous in this book, and yet God still saves them. They are still models of faith when things get tough. But the biggest way that this book is unique is that God is not mentioned even once in the whole book. Isn't that crazy? Like a book of the Bible, <laughs> whole book, 10 chapters, doesn't mention God. And when I heard that, I had to reread it. Like, no, surely. I mean, they fast, they pray, right? Yes, they do those things. But God is not specifically mentioned as saying anything, doing anything directly. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me. It's actually something I think about a lot because, again, it's as if to say, it doesn't, it's as if God is saying, it doesn't matter if you mention me or not, speak to me or not, my will will be accomplished. 
Or maybe God included it in the Bible to, to send this clear message to us that even before you know to pray for a problem, I've already put things in place, people in place to solve it for you, that I will go ahead of you. Now, we, again, we're not going to read the whole story. It is a very interesting read. You should go through it today. Even if just to prove me wrong, try to find God mentioned. I dare you. <laughs> it's a very interesting read. Read all 10 chapters today if you get the chance. But essentially what happens, if you don't know the story, is that Esther is chosen to be queen. Now, she is a Jew in a culture that is not Jewish. She is an Israelite. Uh, but she is chosen to be queen because she's beautiful. She wins a beauty contest, essentially. And when her cousin discovers a plot to kill all of the Jews by a man named Haman, when you hear Haman throughout the story, just think Persian Hitler, essentially. He wants to wipe out the Jews, okay? So a man named Haman wants to wipe him out, but Esther and her cousin make a plan together to ask the king to put a stop to it. It's a plan that can get them both killed, but it doesn't. It works, just to give you a heads up. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it works. And because God is not mentioned in this unique book, it sort of seems like luck that it works out. It's almost lucky. Wisdom, maybe. But things just sort of work out for Esther and her cousin Mordecai. And the Jews overall, they actually end up coming out better from this terrible ordeal than they were before. Lucky, huh? In fact, the book sort of seems to say, again, when you roll the dice against the people of God, the dice end up rolling against you. Haman, Hitler, remember, Haman, ends up getting impaled on a 75-foot pole that he built. And he intended it for Mordecai, the, the cousin. And the Jewish people come out on top, and they have one of their own on the queen's chair. Is it luck, or is it that he has good plans? Is it that God goes ahead of his people, <laughs> right? There's this moment in the middle of the book that's sort of Esther's moment, right? It's, it's the moment where she moves from victim to victor, the moment where, where she moves into problem solver mode, okay? So we're going to read Esther 4, verses 7 through 16. I just want to read this moment to you and watch this unfold. So Mordecai told Esther's servant, Hathak, the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked, everybody say Hathak. Just because if I have to say it, you have to say it. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die, unless the king holds out his gold scepter. Isn't that a crazy rule, by the way? Nobody can approach him without dying. <laughs> like, this is a serious, and it's legal. I mean, it's, it's the law of the land. It's a serious situation. The king has not called for me to come to him in 30 days, so it's not likely he's going to. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai says this in reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief 
for the Jews will arise from some other place. God, I love Mordecai's faith here. Let me just read that again. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. You are not God's only plan. The fact that Mordecai said this, I mean, deliverance will arise, but not for you. His faith in God. And he's not placing his faith in Esther here. He's placing it in God. But don't you want to be used for his purposes? Right? Don't you want to be involved in what he's doing? Don't you want the privilege and honor? This is why we say giving to the church is a privilege and honor because we get to be involved in his plans. He can do it with or without us. He will build his church. The Bible says he builds his church. Not me, not you. He builds his church. But I want to be involved. I get to be involved. He uses me if I let him. Isn't that amazing? This is what Mordecai is saying here. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. (sighs) I would love to say that I would be able to say this in this situation. Wouldn't we all love to say that? (laughs) But if actually faced with this situation, I... This is a big thing. I mean, we all know the story, so it doesn't seem as big, but this is a big thing she does. Esther's resolve, her courage here, her sense of purpose is so inspiring. She moves very quickly from, I'm scared, this is impossible, to, you know what, let's do this. She moves very quickly from those two attitudes. And there's a couple of things that go into that that we have to take note of today. And Number one, she has a passion for his purposes. His purposes. Not her own. And she was sitting in the queen's chair, but she didn't have the power of the queen. She couldn't even approach the king and ask him for something, right, without express permission, without being called for. And so she's not going about building her own power here. She's looking out for the kingdom of God. And don't get me wrong, she starts off with excuses, and don't we all? All right, we're all going through something rough. The excuses we try to throw out there just don't matter nearly as much as we think they do. And they cannot be allowed to get in the way of our purpose. Esther had excuses, legit ones. She could have been killed, absolutely. It seemed impossible, absolutely. But her purpose, she knew, was bigger than the excuses, right? Doesn't mean you have to know what your purpose is all of the time, but if you go through life believing that God has something big for you, when a big thing comes, you'll know it. I used to kind of question this. Can I be honest? We're having a, I was really real last week. (laughs) Aaron afterwards said, I liked how real you were. Uh, I'm being real again. When I grew up in the church, I would question that concept. Like, does God really have something big for everyone? How? How can God have something big for everyone? It doesn't, how? 
right? Does he really have a purpose and plan for every single one of us? The thing is, if you go through life believing that he does, you will find it. (laughs) If you go through life believing that he doesn't, you won't find it. That's kind of how it works. I realize that now after looking at the word, and she comes to this place, Esther, and you can see it all over the story. She, For such a time as this, Mordecai says, maybe you were placed there for such a time as this. You cannot possibly have been placed in that power seat for no reason. Come on, God placed you there. You have a purpose. I think this is it, Esther. For such a time as this. Mordecai knew Esther was there for a reason. He didn't, the amazing thing is he didn't see power as something to aspire to for personal gain. He knew Esther wasn't placed there for Esther or even for him as her family member. He didn't say, maybe our family will be spared while everybody else is killed. Right? He could have, he didn't. He saw it as as personal, not as personal gain, but as gain for his people of his God and of the kingdom, ultimately. He was looking out for God's kingdom, not his own. I I think, I don't know that we would say this out loud. Probably most of us wouldn't say this out loud. But we get caught up in thinking that our purpose is our own little kingdom, like building our own, we want the two-car garage and the white picket fence and the kids going to the right schools and the big screen TV. Like we get caught up in thinking that we need these things. We need, that's just the next progression in our life to build up our life, our kingdom. Wouldn't be something that we say, especially not if we're believers. But I think our actions show us sometimes. There's a, a true sense of where our purpose comes from. We, we think it's our job to build our kingdom. But it's empty. It's meaningless. And we, we see that at the end of our lives. I, I get I talked about this a little last week, but I get to perform funerals. I get to perform funerals. I used to see it as scary, like I have to perform funerals. But I've done a few of them now, more than a few. And I... I get to, I get to be there for families in that time of crisis. And I also get to see what exactly we're left with at the end of our lives. You don't get to take all that stuff with you. There is something you can take with you. I think I said this last week too. Do you remember? People. You get to take people with you into eternity. You get to take them with you to heaven. If you tell them. Right? No, not everybody accepts, and I get that, but and that's not on you. But how will they know if we don't tell them? Right? We get to take people along with us, and, and that's the kingdom that we're building. <clears throat> God has a purpose for you. You will find fulfillment in it, but it won't be comfortable. This is what we see in Esther's story all over the place. She accomplished something huge, but there was a big danger in remaining comfortable. She was comfortable in the the palace, for sure, right? Not like everybody else out there. (laughs) And and I think this is what Mordecai had to sort of shake her out of. Look, you might be safe for now. God will get you in the end, I think was his point. But (laughs) come on. You might feel like you're safe in that palace while the rest of us are out here fearing for our lives. But don't get comfortable. There is a big danger in Christianity comfort. We tend to equate comfort 
with God's favor or blessing. But you get comfortable for too long and you start to think this is how life should be. And then you avoid uncomfortable at all costs and you miss what God has for you. I did a series a a number of years ago now called The Big Comfy Couch. Do you remember? I got a couch up on stage and I settled all into it. It's nice and comfy. Christianity can feel like a big comfy couch that we just recline on. We put our legs up. We sit back. Ah, the, the favor and the blessings of God. The problem is when you sit on a big comfy couch for too long, you become a spoiled rotten brat. Right? And you forget that sometimes God calls us to get off the couch and go do the uncomfortable thing, the hard thing. He hasn't always called us to be the spoiled, rotten brats, sit on our big comfy couch of blessings, but to share it with people. And so if you back out when the going gets tough, deliverance will arise, but maybe not for you. If you go on believing that it's someone else's job, deliverance may pass you by. We have to develop a passion for his purposes, not just our own. We build his kingdom. He builds ours. Can you trust him to do that? That's the question. She did. Esther did. She had a, a passion for his purposes. She also had this sacrificial selflessness. I have an alliteration theme today. Sacrificial selflessness. God is looking for people who are willing to say, use me. I know this prayer, the, the use me prayer. God, use me. Do something through me. What, what can I do for you? That's a prayer that sounds really like mature and seductive. Let me just clarify. It is a scary prayer, and it should be. It is a bold prayer. Use me is probably the most courageous thing you can tell God. <laughs> because let me just tell you from experience, the second you pray it, it's tested. We've talked about this in home groups so many times. People will come out of Sunday morning saying, God, use me. I want, I want to see the need in my world. Like, I want to go into the grocery store and, and pray over people. Well, you go into the grocery store and the Holy Spirit says, go pray for that person. And suddenly you're like, I asked for this. Uh, this is super awkward, way more awkward than I pictured it being on the front row of church. Now I have to do it, Right? It's easy to pray. It's not easy to live out. It's easy to want to be queen. It's not actually easy to be the queen. No one else could have done what she did. It had to be her. I think we have a generation right now of young people who want to be queen. Hashtag queen, right? You have no idea the weight that our leaders carry. That, you know, rulers, even being famous, the weight that that holds Being a leader looks cool, but the more eyes on you, the more weight on you, and it's heavy. I know leadership is always talked about as being glamorous, but it only feels glamorous about 5% of the time. Maybe less, 1%, right? The rest of it feels like really hard, really sacrificial work. You don't get what you want. You have to do what's best for the overall. You don't get to do what's comfortable. You have to do what's necessary, You have to constantly learn how to love more people better. And it takes some risks and it's tiring and it's draining. And sometimes the sheep bite. That's a pastor joke. You didn't get it. It's okay. (laughs) Sometimes the sheep bite. But maybe Esther was 
made queen for such a time as this. Maybe you were, were made mother of that kid for such a time as this. Father of that kid for such a time as this. Maybe you were made husband in that family for such a time as this. Maybe you were put in that job for such a time as this. You, you became friends with that person. Do you, do you understand? You were put where you were put in this life for a reason, and God has called you to something. If you go around believing that, you will find the reasons. When we start looking for the purpose in our lives, we find it everywhere, everywhere. And believe me, once you've done that thing, the purpose doesn't just stop. Like you think, okay, I've accomplished this. God's going to let me rest next week. No, the challenges tend to get harder. The reward for your last challenge is your next challenge, right? Because in Esther's case, for example, once you conquer one enemy, another one pops up. Once Esther the pretty solves something terrible, she becomes Esther the courageous and wise. And I can imagine, I don't know this from the text, but I imagine from experience that after she became Esther the courageous and wise, lots more problems began presenting themselves because she was now a solution looking for a problem. The problems tend to come and they tend to get bigger. Her prettiness got her somewhere, but she wasn't going to stay there without some serious character to go behind it. God uses people. If you're out there crying about something and saying, God, why won't you do something about this? And I have been there. God, why aren't you doing anything? The situation is awful. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's frustrating. It's hurting people. Why aren't you doing something about this? That was my complaint for a while a number of years ago. And at one point I was worshiping praying about this. I was complaining, really, let's be real. I was complaining to God. And God said, maybe it's you I've called to do something about this. <laughs> the prayer became a little different after that. Oh, okay. So uh, if it's me, how do I get ready? How do I prepare? Why aren't you using me yet? Do I need to learn something else? before I'm ready to be used. God uses people. It's called incarnational ministry. He sent his son in human form. Why wouldn't he send you? Right? He doesn't just, uh, sometimes he does. Throughout the word, we see him miraculously intervene. But way more often than that, he uses people. He sends a person. Mordecai and Esther had faith that God would provide a way out. But we also they also knew that they had some responsibility in that. In Esther's case, she not only had a passion for God's purposes and sacrificial selflessness, but she also had this foundation of faith. And so when faced with something difficult that she knew she had to do, she asked for help. She's well aware now that she is alone and she must do this alone. And she can't take her whole family into the the king to ask for this. She has to physically be alone to get the job done. She knows she has to, but she doesn't have to be spiritually alone to do it. She asked her family and friends to fast with her. She said, go and gather the people. Because after a three-day fast, things will either look very different or you'll be much more determined one or the other. (laughs) In her case, the situation didn't change. In three days, she still had to go in and ask the king for something risky. 
But I think her resolve, she became more determined in that after three days. Fasting gives you this clarity and wisdom that you didn't have before. I've recently learned that this is physical, and I cannot tell you the science behind it because I barely understand it. But there is a physical component to fasting for three days. It resets your body chemistry, and I'll look it up. I'm sure it's online. It's amazing how the Bible called this long before science caught up, right? Fasting gives you this clarity and wisdom. It helps you separate your spirit man, the person that you are, from your physical body. Helps you realize that you're in charge of your body. It's not in charge of you. God places us in families, in tribes, in communities. He places us in churches. He places us together. We need each other. Don't go through what you're going through alone. Reach out. I hear from people constantly that say, you know, well, no one talks to me. No one reaches out. I'm alone all the time. I'm alone at church. Nobody. Who have you called? Right? Who have you texted to check in? Have you asked anyone around you how they're doing? Right? Tell someone you're struggling and need to talk. Guarantee you, like if you communicate in a body of people that shows up every week to help somebody, right? That's why we come together to encourage one another, right? It's not some days you're the one showing up needing encouragement. Some days you're the one to encourage. You don't get to show up every single week needing encouragement. That's not how it works. <laughs> show up some weeks. In fact, I hope it's more weeks you show up and encourage somebody else before they leave right? Don't expect people to be mind readers. Sometimes it takes some work to find your people too. Because there's people that like you and then, you know, they're in your life, they're kind and appreciative, but then there's people who will not eat anything for three days for you. That's your people, right? You sit in a home group or in a growth group or on a ministry team. The people that you serve with, you're with every single week, and you ask them to fast with you, I guarantee you at least 50% of the room will say, absolutely, I'm in. When are we doing this? Right? I don't know if you've ever been a part of one of those groups, but I guarantee you that's what will happen. Those are your people. Not eating for one meal is hard, let alone three days. That's faith. Right? Find those people. Ask them for help. 100%. I guarantee you they will help. Number four, she had resolute resolve. And yes, I know those are basically the same words, but I had an alliteration theme. I had to finish it. Resolute resolve. She said, and though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. This one... It must be for me because it gets me every time. If you know that God has called you to something, don't look back. Don't second guess. Don't doubt. If he called you to it, no matter how dangerous or scary, he will see you through it. Be patient. Don't make a move without him. Listen to Holy Spirit closer than you ever have and move with him, not against him or ahead of him, with him. I always want to jump ahead. And then when I can't, I get frustrated and, well, I'm not, maybe I'm not the person for this job. Come on, move with him. Follow him. Don't make him follow you. It doesn't work that way. You follow God and then goodness and mercy follow you. That's the order that it moves in. This story is chock full of what seem like lucky moments. 
right? The, the, the king just happens to remember something at the right moment. The bad guy just happens to build a pole to impale his enemy on. Uh, the, the question gets asked at just the right moment. It's all very lucky, lucky the way that it works out. The fate seems to be on their side seems like God really is helping those who help themselves. And in the end, the Jews do get their victory. The king couldn't stop his own decree for whatever reason, the, the laws then, he couldn't stop it, but he made a few more. At the end of this book, it's essentially the purge, <laughs> but racist. Uh, one day, it was one day where the Jews could be attacked, but now the Jews got to prepare they got to defend themselves. They got to fight back. And so they did. The Bible is wild, y'all. I wish more people would make movies out of it because this is a movie you would want to watch. It's incredibly interesting. But the Jews ended up, ended up better off than they were before all of this happened. God used it in the end to bless them. Bad things are not always bad things. In God's kingdom, he turns them into good for those who love the Lord. And it's not because of luck, although it seems like it, because when we follow him and we, we care more about his purposes than our own, goodness and mercy follow us. They follow us. It's called favor, not luck, right? Because a few faithful people in God's hands can save a nation. Does God help those who help themselves? God helps the faithful. God helps those who are looking out for his purposes. He helps the faithful. Even when we make mistakes and we're not perfect. Beautiful, because it's goodness and mercy that follow us. Mercy follows us. He covers my mistakes. I talked about this a little last week, but I see this all over the place. I make so many mistakes in ministry. I forget things. Mercy follows me. It's amazing how God covers me sometimes and I can feel the Holy Spirit doing it in the moment. Again, can I be honest? Sometimes I come into church feeling like I need to be preached to. I don't want to be the one preaching. I need encouragement. I don't want to be the one giving it. It's rare, but it happens where I don't want to be here. Probably more than the rest of you who drug yourselves out of bed, right? I don't, I, I'm here at 7 a.m. and I don't want to be, God, I don't want to be here. I don't want to give. I don't want to pour out. I don't want to encourage. I don't want to preach. I need a word. I don't want to give one. 10 times out of 10 though, I mean 100% of the time, I'm standing in the back and I'm worshiping God and I say, God, <sighs> I exhale first in his presence, right? Just take a deep breath. And I say, God, go ahead of me. Let me say your words today, not my own. Maybe I underprepared this week. Maybe I was too busy. Maybe I let your mercy follow me. <laughs> let me preach what you want me to preach today. And sometimes I even say, God, I'm not going up there if you're not going. I'm not doing it. It's not my words. I don't have anything to give today. You better pour out. You better show up. I'm not going if you're not going. God covers me in those moments. 10 times out of 10, he's good and faithful. And afterward, people say, man, that word was just for me. And I say, well, it must have been because I didn't prepare it. 
I'm, I'm really glad. It was for me too. Really, really glad God came through today. Look, I, I think it's amazing that the Festival of Purim is still celebrated to this day by Jews all over the world in the month of February, celebrating the idea that no matter how the Jews' enemies roll the die, it will always fall in their favor. His favor follows us when we seek out his purposes and plans. What some people call luck or fate, we call favor. It's not a blanket favor that comes to every believer just because it comes when you're actively doing the will of God and you are following his plans and purposes for your life. When you are doing his will, he will go before you. When you understand who you are and whose you are, Life seems to make a whole lot more sense. And you understand that you are a son or daughter of the king, not a king, the king. And your job is to serve him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will make sure you have everything that you need according to his riches and glory. This fasting and feasting series isn't about all the problems in your life being totally up to you to fix. The weight of the world isn't on your shoulders. This is just about having enough faith to do your part. God does the rest. But Jesus already died on the cross. It's already done. We're not the Savior. I am not the Savior. Jesus is, and he already did the saving. It is done. He is the solution. He's not asking for you to save everyone from their sins. He's already done it. He's just asking you to tell them about him and trust him with the rest. Trust him with the rest. That is what fasting is about. Trusting him enough to take care of your needs. So how do you know when it's time to do a fast? I think the answer to that is really simple. It's too simple, than, it's more simple than we want it to be anyway. And it's found here in the book of Esther. It's time to do a fast when something is hard and when you need help. It's too simple because we wanna say, well, Candace, what's hard? Hard for me might be not hard for someone else. I left it intentionally vague. It is relative when something is hard. Right? When you're facing something difficult, difficult is a relative term. It might be difficult for you, not difficult for someone else. I meant it to be relative, and it's not going to be defined anymore because it wouldn't be helpful. When something is difficult and when you need help. For Esther, her whole race, all of her people were under the gun. Literally, I mean, they were going to be wiped out if she didn't do something. The stakes were really high. It was her life on the line, too. It's difficult. It's more difficult than anything I would probably face in my life. And it was up to her and her alone to get figured out. But that doesn't mean she didn't have help, spiritual backing. She had help even though she was alone. That's when you fast, when it's hard, but you need help. Right? As followers of Jesus, we don't just sit back and wait for everything to fall into place. We get up and we follow Jesus. He leads us into some crazy situations sometimes, and he asks us for impossible things, but he doesn't leave us alone in that. Right? We, we don't have, why rely on luck when you have God? 
right? Why not ask him for wisdom and guidance next time something big comes up in your life? Why not go looking for his purpose and direction straight from the Father instead of everywhere else? And we have access to the God of heaven and earth. He gave you access, direct access. You don't have to pray to somebody else, pray to saints, go and, you know what I mean? Just whisper to him. He is closer than a whisper. The Bible says he is close to the brokenhearted. He can hear you whisper to him in every situation. He hears you. Reach out to him. Ask him for help. Maybe you were put in the place or position in life that you're in right now, even though it's hard. Maybe you were put there to use the faith and wisdom that God has given you and to be the solution, not just for you, but for so many others. I don't believe that the events in Esther's life were luck at all. I believe that God had a solution in mind long before the problem became a reality. The problem for most of us is our thinking, not necessarily our actions. I mean, the actions tend to be the problem too. They tend to be a result of the thinking, but it starts with our thinking, right? We, we don't have that underlying faith, the resolve, the selflessness that Esther had, and it takes some discipline to get there. It takes some fasting from wrong thinking. It takes some unlearning things. Do you know a lot of things in the Bible aren't just teaching you things, it's unteaching you things. We have to unlearn a lot of things that life teaches us in order to truly follow Jesus. I think that's why the disciples were confused all the time, listening to his parables. They had so much learned from the world around them, from religion around them. Jesus had to unlearn things before he could get to the learning part. A lot of us are there. Oh, I started a Bible plan for us together as a church. I invited everybody on my Bible list, but if you're not on it, go to the sermon notes today, fe.church slash sermon notes, and click the button that says join us on, I actually don't remember what I wrote. Join us on the Bible plan, fasting from wrong thinking, something like that. It's a 40-day plan, so it's a chunk of time, and it's every single day you fast from one wrong thought. We've done this together before, and maybe you remember it. I've actually, I've done it a lot with people, just individuals. Um, so you probably have heard of it before. But it is an incredible thing to unlearn the things that life has thrown at us, really. So many things that we learn that are just, they're getting in the way of fully surrendering to God. Because it's a discipline to surrender everything to him. It's hard work sometimes to surrender everything to him. Life teaches us that we have to rely on ourselves, that we have to look out for number one, that nobody's there to help me. I have to figure this out by myself. It's something you got to unlearn. God's placed you in a family, in this community of vibrant, passionate, selfless people, right? We have to unlearn how to be on our own and learn how to be a part of a family the family of God. And it's hard work to surrender all of that to him. Like Esther, we have to get to a place where we can say, if I die, I die, but I'm going to be obedient. That resolve, that courage. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? If, even if he doesn't save us, 
we're never gonna bow down to your gods. Even if he doesn't. If I die, I must die. Let's do this. If that takes discipline, that's what fasting and feasting is about. Because when we truly trust him, he gives us the feast. And things are easier. On the other side of that, when we're truly walking, remember the, the Psalm 23 message from last week. When we are following in the footsteps of our shepherd, things are easy. He lets us lie down by quiet waters. He restores our soul, right? We often want to do the harder thing and wander off not following our shepherd. Things are truly easier in his wake, but it can be difficult to see. So we have to unlearn some things. Will you all do this, this Bible plan with me? Raise your hand if you're gonna do it. Right now, I will do it along with you. Go click that button. If it doesn't work, message me. I will figure it out. We're gonna do it together. And would you also write in the comments what you're learning so I know you're doing it? You all start off strong. We do this. We've done this before. By day 40, nobody's commenting anymore. Do it with me, will you? Okay, I heard like two people. We will. I'll get those two on day 40. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for the passion, the vibrancy here at Freedom Valley. Thank you that we get to surrender everything to you. God, teach us how to do this better than ever before, that, that you would truly give us the boldness to preach the gospel in everyday life, but with that, you would build the underlying structure, the foundation of faith, that we would be able to build our house on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Be there with us through the storms, God. Make us stronger than ever, able to withstand more than ever. Enlarge our plates so that we can fit our problems and other people's problems on them. You would help us be a solution in this world looking for solutions. There's so many problems. God, let us be the answer. Let the atmosphere within this church permeate the whole community. <laughs> that when people come in our doors, they would feel that it's different here, that the spirit of the living God is here in our midst and that we carry him with us wherever we go. God, help us feast at your table in the presence of our enemies, not wilt under the pressure, but just trust you that we would truly be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because you are with us. You comfort us. You are our shepherd, our hope, our light, the one that we follow into battle every time. God, be with us in the storm. Help us discipline ourselves and fast and pray. Hang on your every word. Understand the Bible better than we ever have before. God, help us lean in right now. Bless us as we get there heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today, you know, you're saying I've never actually made the decision to follow Jesus. Oh, it takes a moment usually. Some, for some people, it's a journey, but for many of us, it is a, a moment, a decision-making moment where we say, I am in, I'm all in. I'm gonna follow what Jesus says to the best of my ability. I'm gonna leave all of the sin, all of the stuff, the selfishness behind, and I'm done doing it my way. I wanna do it your way, Jesus. We call that moment salvation. 
you are saved truly from all of that stuff. Jesus came to save you from sin, give you life and life abundantly. But we have to make that decision to not go off like a wayward sheep doing our own thing, but to follow him, make him our shepherd. Is that you today? Maybe it's the first time or it's been a long time and you're coming back to him. But if you're saying, I'm in today, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Maybe you're watching online. You can text the number on the screen. I'd love to help you with that decision. Is there anyone here today who just needs that moment? I want to say, I'm in. I'm into following him. Just raise your hand up right where you are. I'm in. For the rest of us, maybe it's a, it's a moment where we need to do some repenting. We're realizing that we've been trying to build our own kingdom. We've been following our own wrong thinking, and we know it. It's time to change it. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I need to do some repenting follow Jesus with my whole heart. Father, I thank you for every single hand raised today. Thank you that you give us these moments to challenge us, to guide us, to direct us, to put us back on the right paths. We worship you today. We set our eyes on you today. God, get our eyes off of all of our issues, all of the ways that we want to build our own feasts, our own tables, that we want to build our own kingdoms. And God, help us see your purposes and plan for us. Help us look at the people around us with compassion. Give us a new hope that we can deliver to the people in our world. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. Truly, make us the vibrant, passionate, selfless people you've called us to be. I thank you. And I praise you. I just, heads bowed and eyes still closed. I'm just feeling the Holy Spirit speaking to fathers right now. Let me just pray a, a prayer of blessing. Father, we speak to the men of Freedom Valley that you would raise up a boldness within specifically the men right now. It would build a fire in each and every one of their hearts. They would truly be the, the fathers, the husbands, the sons, the friends that you've called them to be in our world. That you would raise them up as bold Bible thumpers, that they would carry your word everywhere that they go, that they wouldn't be ashamed of preaching the gospel, of, of living righteously, doing right by you, that the world wants to diminish all of that right now. God, we just ask that you would raise up bold men. Thank you for them in Jesus' name. I pray that you would just, as they leave from here today, you'd give an extra anointing to each and every man, doing their best, trying to follow you. But God, strip away all of the selfishness, the sin, the stuff that we've brought in with us today. Let us leave here fresh and free, full of hope, ready to bless our families, bless our world, bless our communities and everywhere that we go. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.